Let's turn our uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and I'll be reading from uh, verses 36 all the way through 50. So Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. Ready? When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We are in part three of our series on the Sinner's Dinner Party. It is our desire, is the desire of the leaders of our church that this verse, this set of verses, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, would sink into your heart. That who you are before God through Jesus Christ, that you'd see something deep of who you are and that it would, it would, there would be seas laid down into the culture of our church, the type of church that we'll be, the type of community that we'll be. And today I have a message that I want to talk about, the subject of gratitude, and particularly gratitude as it is linked to, because it is a function of how you see what you owe, is a function of your indebtedness. Now to start this message, let's read you a little quote from a book that I like. Um, I don't know if you've heard this book. It's called The Call. It's actually a devotional, and uh, the, I think the, the subtitle of the, the, the book is called Finding and Fulfilling the Central Purpose of Your Life. So if you're interested in finding out the purpose of your life, 
and having some devotions and reflections. So it's kind of, I think, Os Gunnis's version of the Purpose Driven Life, um, you know, written by Rick Warren. But um, I, I very much like Os Gunnis. He's a Christian speaker. He's an Irishman. Um, some of you guys are wondering, is, is, is this guy related to Os Gunnis, as in the, the Guinness beer? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he is. Uh, Os Gunnis' grandfather started the Guinness Beer Company. And his grandfather was a godly man because his fellow Irishmen drank hard liquor and would get smashed and beat their wives and do all, all kinds of other bad things. And he realized, hey, they need an alternative. So a godly man came up with a beer <laughs> to help his fellow Irishmen live better lives. Isn't that funny? That's kind of funny how history plays out. And now it's like the, the National Beer of Ireland. Now people get smashed drinking Guinness, okay? <laughs> But um, but that's the way it started. Um, Guinness's uh, Os Guinness's grandfather. That's the story I heard from him anyway. Um, when I heard him um, speak. But here's a here's here's a portion from reflection from a, a passage that he calls "Let all your thinks be thanks." In other words, all your thinking, all your thinks be thanks. And he says this in a speech to the German League of Human Rights in 1932. Albert Einstein delivered a speech that he called "My Credo." In other words, what I stand for, what I believe. And he said, I'm often worried at the thought that my life is based to a large extent on the work of my fellow human beings. And I'm aware of my great indebtedness to them. Hmm. Think about that. To a large extent, my life is based upon the work of my fellow human beings, and I'm aware of my great indebtedness to them. Goodness goes on to say, but most of us forget that. And even, even deeper debts. Because we are modern. It's interesting. Because we are modern, sophisticated, science-driven, capitalistic people in our technology-driven world, we forget this thing that Albert Einstein knew, who wasn't even a Christian, that much of our life is based upon what others have done, and we are indebted. Instead, all we have is our entitlement. The luck of the womb covers not only families, but also centuries and generations, and yet it can all be taken for granted. Ridiculously, sometimes we even feel superior. We feel superior as if it were a moral achievement to be born on the right side of Beethoven, Orville Wright, Thomas Edison, or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, or Steve Zuckerberg, right? That's his name, right? Zuckerberg, is that his name? Zucker, Mark Zuckerberg, sorry. That shows you how good I am, right? Um, you know, there's so many things that we have, so many things that others have given us. Um, and you would say, well, Gates didn't give it to me, I had to pay for it. But actually, what he's given to you is, I mean, I don't even like Steve Gates. I mean, I don't even like uh, Steve Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, all right? I don't even like Bill Gates, all right? And yet, um, actually, if you think about it, and I thought about it this week, I am indebted to him, right? Very much so. Um, just take Microsoft Word. <laughs> uh, I have written, I, I don't know, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of words on Microsoft Word. And I remember what it was like before there. I, you, can you guys, some of you guys are too young for this. 
But I actually remember there was a day when we used this thing, this just really primitive thing called a typewriter. And we actually wrote things with something called a pen. Right? And um, I'm indebted to Bill Gates for Microsoft Word. Just, just, just that. In debt. Indebtedness. I just want to start off. Gratitude. Indebtedness. Right? Um, I'm going to... I'm going to talk about this in three parts, as I usually do. Part one, what have you earned versus what do you owe? I think it's a very important question. If you look at your, if you don't have a clarity on this question in your life, you're really going to be a twisted and shallow human being and a broken human being. And I'm saying you, but it's actually we. It's me, it's us. We are all messed up on this question. What have we earned versus what we owe? Part two, your perception of your debt. Because that's what Jesus talks about here. He has this little story. One guy thinks he owes this. Another guy thinks he owes this. Because of what they, how they, what they think they owe, they react differently. So what is your perception of debt? And part three, what is the size of the grace? What is, how big is the grace you've received? Now part one, what... Have you earned versus what you owe? I'd like to start by telling you a little story. There was a young girl, and she was very pretty. And her mom was pretty. She was pretty. Her mom grew up in a broken home. Her parents got divorced when she was very young. And her mom liked to party. And when she was a teenager... And she had a fling. She had a fling with a boy that, had, uh, that took to her fancy. There was no dad around to say, hey, that boy doesn't really love you. It's just an infatuation. Because her parents got divorced, her dad wasn't around. So she became, fell in love with this boy, and he used her. They had sex, and she got pregnant. She lived during a time when she lived in a time and a place where they didn't have technology. They didn't have abortion at this place. And she lived in a culture that was actually very conservative and very traditional. And so when her parents got divorced and then she got pregnant when she was a teenager, it was incredibly shameful and much of her society rejected her. She couldn't get an abortion Nobody did that, and even then, if they found out, then, then people around would hate her even more. She had a baby. This baby grew up. So the, the story I'm telling you is about this baby. This baby grew up. Um, this boy that her mom fell in love with, her, her dad, but um, beyond her infancy, this guy didn't stick around. So this girl, this pretty little girl who had a pretty mom, um, her mom loved her daughter, began working two, three jobs. And because she didn't get to finish school and because much of her society rejected those jobs were hard jobs. And they were poor. They often had to move from house to house because the, the market would price them out of their rent. And they lived often in poor and dangerous neighborhoods. And this girl didn't have her dad. And she didn't know the difference. And this girl, and, and have you ever heard of, a, of, of love languages? 
There, there's, a, there's this famous book that came out called The People Have Love Languages. And it has a very simple but very powerful insight that different people long, they, they, every, we all need love, but we perceive love differently. And we need, and so one person perceives love through words of affirmation, another perceives love through acts of service, but another person, they don't feel loved unless they're physically touched, physical affection. Well, this girl that I'm telling you about, that's her. Her perception of feeling loved was to be hugged, to be touched, to be said. And she especially loved, longed to be loved by a man because she didn't have a dad. So, not unlike her mom, because her mom was pretty and her mom had a thing for partying. And by the time... Her mom, you know, she was pretty when she was young, but after being beaten down from multiple jobs and living in poverty and being exhausted, and she wanted to give much to her daughter, but of course, after three jobs, she didn't have anything left to give to her daughter. Um, and, you know, she started losing her looks, but, you know, her daughter still had those looks and as a teenager. And not unlike her mom, there's no dad around, she fell in with a boy. He told her how wonderful she was because he thought she was hot. She had sex with him, and that was one of the most rapturous and incredible experiences she ever had because she fell in love with this boy, and this boy told her he was in love with her. And because she'd longed for this experience her whole life, and then now it was so incredible. And then after a while, the relationship broke up, and he left her. She didn't get pregnant. But then she sought this experience in the next boy. And then in the next boy. And then the next boy. And it was like a drug. She realized, actually, it was never as good having sex with the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And since so she was poor, um, and they didn't go to live in good neighborhoods, the schools were bad, and she never really was particularly, had much for, she didn't particularly care for school. And she never had a dad who kept a job around. So she never saw the example of what it's like that if there was somebody who, even if he didn't like his job, was faithful in the job, you could actually have, live in a steady house and you could be safe. She never saw that. And so she started to have a string of boyfriends and then one day, she, you know, she, she was like, this is, seems to be the only thing I'm good at, attracting guys, and they only want to get into my pants. And one day she met a guy who said, hey, you want to make money doing that? I can help you make money doing that. I mean, come on. You're dumb. You, you can't even finish school, and all you got is your looks. So you might as well, this is what you might as well do. And so she believed it. And so she started turning tricks, and she started making money. And then she did this when she was 17, and then she did this when she was 18. By the time she was 20, 21, she'd been raped a couple times. She had had, she had had a sexually transmitted disease. She'd been punched a few times. And if there had been a spark of life in her as a little girl, by the time she was 21, that had been snuffed out. 
This is um, the story of the person I'm telling you about. And this young woman now, she's no longer a little girl, she's 21. She has a bunch of her friends are prostitutes like her. Most of them cynical, jaded. Some did drugs, overdosed, died, because they didn't have anything better in their life. But a couple of them said, hey, there's this guy. And he talks about God. And he tells you that even if you're a sinner and you've wrecked your life, that God will love you. God will forgive you. God will embrace you and say that you can become God's daughter. That's what he does. And he's not like the usual Joe folks at church. I mean, you know, we go to church and everybody hates us because of the way we dress, because of our tattoos and because of our piercings and because actually we show up and we don't even feel good there because we just feel ashamed. But this guy says, God will love you, and then he invites us to dinner and he has drinks with us. He actually hangs out with us and he actually looks happy to have drinks with us and he tells jokes and he's funny. And when he says that he likes us and he says that God loves us, we actually feel that he loves us and we believe him when he says that God will love us and forgive us. Let's go to that dinner party. I want you to go hear this guy. His name is Jesus. That's what's happening in Luke chapter 7. And this woman goes, meets this guy, Jesus, and she realizes if what you're saying is true, maybe you're him. Because you're like not like anybody else I ever knew or even ever heard of. Maybe you're him. And she begins to go meet Jesus. Now, why am I saying it to you this way? The other guy at the party, the guy who actually threw the dinner party, I've been telling you for the last couple weeks that if you met Simon the Pharisee, you would like him. You would respect him. But Simon probably has a story that's a little closer to our story. Most of you probably don't have... Some of you maybe have recognized some bits of the story of this young girl that I just told you about. But most of you probably have a story that's something a little more like Simon's story. Your mom and dad. Dad worked. He may not have liked his job, but he kept his job. There were times that he, he, uh, he lost his job, and, and it wasn't easy. But, but you always but you had a house, and it was safe. You didn't have luxury. You didn't have the most fancy clothes and the most fancy vacation, but you always had food. You always had clothes. And you always had a family, and it was safe. And sometimes, your parents, they weren't always the best, but they, they went to church. And they try, they try to obey God. They, 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 were, they were kind of not the best folks at believing in God, but they tried. And, and your dad wasn't the best dad. I mean, he, wasn't, he was emotionally distant. He wouldn't play with you. He, he wouldn't love you and hug you. But, but he tried. He, he, you knew he loved you. He wasn't very good at showing it. And so you would say, 
Yeah, you know, and all the dads that are around, he's probably like a C-minus dad. If you were to grade your dad, you'd say C-minus. And when he's doing really good, he'd bump up to about C-plus, right? Um, you know, when he'd actually take us on a vacation and just pay attention to us, because he was, wasn't so tired, he'd be C-plus, okay? But he's mostly a C-minus dad, and every now and then when he's, when he's depressed or angry and he takes it out on us, he'd drop it down to the D range. But he never cheated on mom. He wasn't a drunk. He didn't steal. He didn't beat us just because he was feeling bad about himself. Right? That's, that's like a C-minus dad. Right? Let me tell you, if, you had this, if this is your upbringing, then you got to go to school. Maybe you didn't even like school. And, you know, a lot of your teachers are average or sometimes even below average. And you didn't even go to a really good school, but you had one teacher that was pretty good. Um, um, that's kind of like my story sometimes. I, I often feel like my dad's a C-minus dad. Um, when we first came to the United States, we went to a school. We lived in a poor neighborhood. We were poor immigrants. And we lived in Richmond, which was pretty much a, a working-class black community. Um, I hear today parts of it is a slum. But back then, I, I wouldn't have considered it a slum. And even looking back on it, I would say it was a respectable and yet, it was a poor neighborhood. And, and my first grade teacher was a woman named Miss Flasher. I don't know if she was a Mrs. Flasher. I, my English wasn't good enough. <laughs> I, was, I was six years old, and I was, I, I was, I was most, pretty much fresh off the boat. Right. And so I didn't know the difference between Mrs. or Miss. I, she might have been married. I don't know. But I called her Miss Flasher. She was this super kind white lady. She was probably in her late 20s maybe early 30s. And she taught in a poor black neighborhood. And she was kind, not just to me, but to all the kids. But I knew she was kind to all the kids, but I didn't care. I felt like she thought I was special. (laughs) I don't know if she actually thought I was special, but I felt like when she talked to me that I was special. And here I was, this, the one Asian kid in, in a class full of every kid that's black, and there was, we had like one white kid, and, and I didn't want, nobody wanted to be him because, man, he got picked on, <laughs> all right? He, he got his butt kicked, and bad stuff happened to that kid, okay? <laughs> um, and I, I, it, was, it was weird. I got ra- all kinds of racist stuff happened to me, too, and, uh, um, but, but, um, I had this there, was this, there was this, there was this, there was this boy named Mark Mosley. He was the biggest kid in class. And for whatever reason, Mark Mosley loved me. <laughs> uh, Mark was kind of like the quintessential big, big kid that wasn't too bright. And I guess I was one of the smarter kids, and I, I never looked down on him, and I was more than happy to help him with his schoolwork, and for that, he was grateful. And for that, he made sure nobody ever picked on me. <laughs> and nobody messed with Mark Mosley. <laughs> and, and, um, and Mrs. Flasher. Miss Flasher, I don't know. If I don't have Miss Flasher, I don't know if I like school. If I don't have Mark Mosley, I 
might have been a depressed kid because I would have been having my butt kicked by racist other kids every other week. That would have been my life. But I have Mrs. Flasher. I have a dad and a mom. They work pretty low menial jobs. Um, they were pretty exhausted at the end of the day. But we were safe. And I had a... And these little pieces, they're the difference as to why I went to school, why I excelled in school, why I went off to college, and why I can have a life something like Simon the Pharisee's. Middle class, trying to be upper middle class. I mean, upper middle class in Silicon Valley is hard, okay? All right? I'm just trying to be middle class in Silicon Valley, right? It's like, okay, if I can be middle class in Silicon Valley. Working, but just to have that. And most of us, if you have that, let me tell you something you owe. You're indebted. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You're indebted. Um, I'm going to ask Gunnis. This is how he puts it. Um, he's saying about, you know, he's saying that we're moderns. And because we're modern, we don't get it. We don't get it. He, he, he says that traditional society, the traditional world, that is pre-modern world, pre-capitalist world. It's like you have a village and a lot of people farm and there's all these little, these bonds of honor he says, they, they knew it better than we did. And they're trying to forget that we are indebted and we need to be grateful. He says, but the traditional world could never quite drown out gratitude, our need for gratitude. He says, one, because there's two things that help people really know that you, have gra- that you, you, need, you need to be um, grateful. And one of them was that you have total dependency in life. I'm asking you this question. What do you owe versus what you have earned? You know, in, in, in America, we think if you pay certain things, you've earned that, right? And so uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm especially grateful for in, um, at this time is Chipotle. I, I, I'm, I'm a Chipotle fan. Chipotle hasn't been around very long. Um, it isn't the best Mexican food, but it's solidly good, Right? And, um, I mean, it's way better than Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, Taco Bell, I mean, come on, right? <laughs> and I, I remember the first time I discovered Chipotle, I couldn't believe how good it was for how cheap it was. Hmm. And you can get a really good burrito or a taco for, like, less than eight bucks. I mean, that's crazy. But you think you paid seven or eight dollars and you get this really good meal... And now you don't know. Really? Let me tell you, go live in a neighborhood where there's no good Mexican food, and you will realize that if Chipotle comes to your town, you're getting way more than $8 worth of blessing. I'm telling you. You're getting a lot more than $8 worth of blessing. But that's how we think. Moderns. I paid paid my buck. I don't know. So... I paid for it. I earned it. It's mine. You don't feel any indebtedness because you paid for it because our our life is based upon financial transaction. 
but not blessing transaction, not blessing exchange. See, traditional worlds, they get this. A second thing he says, the other reason why the modern world doesn't get it is because we've trans- we think that we're totally autonomous. Because we think we can pay for everything. If you get enough money, you think you can get everything. We think our blessings. This is how he puts it. Jesus says man does not live on bread alone. But the modern world, what we say is, oh, that's yesterday. Today, we actually can live on bread alone, on reason alone, on science alone, on technology alone, on business alone, on sex alone, on shopping alone, on technology alone. But actually, you need other things like friends and gifts and love and kindness. And of course, you need God. Formerly, the atheists... The philosopher atheist would shout defiantly, there is no God. But today, because we think these are the things that we need, and I paid for them, <laughs> nobody gave them to me, I paid for them, I earned my money and I paid for them, we're not very grateful. But actually, we're indebted. And we think we're autonomous, but you're not. Try it. Try it. If you really think you don't need anybody, why don't you just go leave the city? <laughs> Why don't you go get all your own food, get all your own clothes, and live your own life? You don't need a wife. You don't need kids. You don't need friends. You don't need a church. You don't need a pastor. You don't need the spiritual. You don't need forgiveness. Just go live it on your own. Do it on your own. You'll soon see how much you're indebted. Um, a little more Oscuritas. It's good, right? At the heart of the modern world is, an, is the almost complete absence of dependency and indebtedness. You know why we're not a grateful people? Because we don't get this. It's actually very strange. There's a lot of secular psychologists today that are actually studying gratitude. I've read, the, read, read studies on gratitude. They said that one of the key ingredients on living a joyful and happy life is gratitude. People who are grateful and regularly, often, it's like a regular, it's like a muscle that they regularly flex of being grateful, they're happy people. People who are not, they're resentful, they're entitled, they're selfish, they're angry. Which one is us? We're so much more likely to be entitled. Abe Lincoln said to his fellow countrymen, this, he said this in 1863, this 150 years ago. This is what he said. He said, we have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. He said this 150 years ago. But we have forgotten God. This is the way Bart Simpson, he likes, this is Os Kunis, another great American, Bart Simpson. So, when Bart prays before a meal, this is what he says, Dear God, we pay for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. (laughs) Um, I think we think more like Bart, not like Abe Lincoln. And the reason, I know I'm laying this on thick, why am I doing this? 
Look, there's two people in this story. There's a prostitute and there's a Pharisee. I'm asking you the question, which one are you? I don't think it's hard to figure out I'm not a whole lot like her. So here's, a, here's, here's how Simon the Pharisee talks to Jesus. He goes, hey, let's have an interesting conversation. Religion is interesting stuff. Church, I need that every now and then. So you're the, the holy man, the man from God, the God stuff. Give me some of that. It's a man-to-man conversation. Come on to my house for dinner. We'll have a conversation. Give me some of the God stuff. That's how Simon looks at Jesus. It's because he doesn't know. And then how does Jesus look at it? He says, it's because you don't know what you owe. You don't know how much has been given to you. That's how we, isn't that the way we are? Look, okay, I'm going to really make some of you guys feel bad. You know why a lot of you come to church late? Because you're dabbling with God. Because you're like Simon. Um, honestly, if I wasn't the pastor, I'd probably come late too. In fact, I, when I wasn't a pastor, I would come late. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to really beat on you here. I'm not trying to beat you with that guilt stick. I'm just, we're talking. Just trying to have an honest conversation. I'm giving you a diagnosis. Because churches, let's just get some of the Jesus stuff. But if you know that it's all been given to you, it was all by grace. Mark Mosley was by grace. If God doesn't give me Mark Mosley, I don't know if I would have turned out so well. I'm serious. I'm not just laying out. I'm really serious. That was not a good neighborhood we lived in. And we were poor. If I don't have a Miss Flasher, I do not know if I do well in school for the next 17 years. It's by grace. We're indebted. Part two. I'll try to do, be a little briefer with this. Part two. You know, G, G, there's these two reactions to Jesus. And how does Jesus say this? He, so he tells his little story. Hey, Simon, let me tell you a story. There's these two, two people. They owe another person. One guy owes 50 denarii. The other... 500. So, so you're like, what does that mean? Well, let, me, let, me, let me tell it to you in 21st century terms. Um, a denarius is one day's, uh, roughly one day's wages. And so if I scale this up into 21st century Silicon Valley money, so I, I did this roughly. So um, I don't know if you know this. In, our, in Santa Clara County, the median household income is $91,000. There you go. If you are under 91 you are, you know, you're behind the curve in our, in our county. You're on the bottom half. Okay, I'm not trying to, like, you know, make you feel bad or anything. It's just, just, just a fact, okay? If you are above $91,000 for your household, you're on the top half of our county. Now, let me just tell you, our county is rich. In California, the, the median household income in California is $61,000. That means we are 50% ahead of the median household in the whole state. And by the way, California is rich. You know, the median household income in America is $50,000. Uh, 
So if you make, if you are right smack in the middle, I mean, half of the households in our county make more than you, $91,000. And half of the uh, households in the county make less than you. You're right there at $91,000. You make 80% more than the median income of America. The richest nation, the most powerful, (laughs) freest, most capitalist nation that's ever been on the planet. I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you a sense of this, of where we're at. Okay. So, what's $91,000? And if you break it down per day, I mean, I did the math for you. 50 denarii is roughly $19,000. If you owed somebody $19,000, that, that would not be fun, would it? Hmm? But what if you owed somebody $190,000? That's 500 denarii. It's like, whoa, that would be pretty backbreaking. For some of us, that'd be backbreaking. Some of you, maybe you, some of you guys who are on the upper end of the Silicon Valley, you're like, oh, I, I think I can handle that, all right? But it would not be fun. Okay. You come up to this person. You owe 19 grand. Two people come up to a person. One owes 19 grand, one, the other person owes 190 grand. And that person says, it's, it's, you're good. The debt's gone. The debt is gone. Just, just try to imagine it, okay? Some of you guys have a, uh, have a debt to something like 190 grand, like your mortgage. So tomorrow, what if you met the person who is the guy who is the bankroller behind the bank, came up to you and said, your mortgage, it's gone. I just took care of it. How would you react? Come over to my house. I'll kiss your feet. (laughs) But if he paid off a $19,000 credit card bill, you would go, hey, come over to my house and let's have a cool conversation. See the difference? See the difference? Look, I don't think Jesus is telling Simon, she owes 190 grand and you owe 19,000. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. You know what Jesus is saying? You think she owes 19 grand or 190 grand and you owe 19,000. That's what you think. You think she owes a massive wad and you only owe a manageable, a decent chunk, but just a manageable chunk. He's like, but you're deluded. That's why you don't love me. That's why you don't react to me. Because I, I paid off a billion dollars for you, and you don't know it. She somewhat knows it. You, you don't know it. That's the difference. You know, there's something really... <laughs> you know how... Okay, let me tell you something. You, you know how I really know that human beings all deserve to go to hell? Because the church is normally like Pharisees. That's how I know. I don't have to look at Nazi. I don't have to watch Schindler's List and watch Nazis cook Jews to know that human beings are horrible and deserve to go to hell. I just look at the average church. The average church has people that are supposed to be better than the rest of the world, but actually the righteousness that we practice is, is this manageable debt. 
That's how I know that the world is really sick. And as a pastor, I really know this. I mean, I've been in the church a long time, right? Um, And I'm not trying to make you feel bad so much, but this is us. Look, here's the real reality. The reality is, God says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, this is is what it says. Every spiritual blessing from all the heavenly places is given to you in Christ. Not some of them, not a few of them. Every spiritual blessing. And you are a spiritual being. Look, you're not meat. You don't just need food and, uh, and a roof over your head and a promotion and an iPhone, right? You're a spiritual being. You need a daddy who says, I love you. You need friends who will be merciful to you. You need people who will pray for you. That's all part of being a spiritual being. And ultimately, you need a God who, when he looks at you, will be like you're a dad and a boyfriend and a husband and the love of a nation multiplied by a million with a love like an ocean that will drop on you, which will make whatever ecstatic experience you ever had with whatever idolatry you were looking for, nothing. That's what it means to be every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's yours. You know what you paid for it? Nothing. Here's what you gave for it. You're crap. That's what you gave if you received this from Jesus. Because if a person is going to say, you're 190 grand, it's gone. You know what it does? You know what it means? He paid it. All your sins, to give you this blessing, Jesus says, I'll pay it. And then he gives this to you. That's the size of the grace. That's what's given to us. But because we live in this very Philistines world where we think, okay, I pay my $8, therefore now I can be rude to the person who gave me this great burrito. (laughs) Because they're just, whatever, they're a nobody that that makes, you know, only like $9 an hour, right? (laughs) So I can be rude to them. Even though they just gave you something that tastes glorious for eight bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, right? I mean, there are days I just go, I want to eat something healthy that's really cool, and I don't want to spend more than ten bucks. That, that, that's, the, that's Chipotle day for me. <laughs> that's a Chipotle day. I'm serious. And that's not salvation. That's lunch. And this is offered to us, and instead we go into the world, and we'll say, "My uh, you, you, church, church would be better than this, blah blah blah." Or my, I wish, I, I want this out of my company, or I wish my house was like this, or my car was like this. I'm trying to learn how to um, love my car. I have an. 09 Hyundai Sonata. It's a, a median American car. Actually, it's below median, actually. <laughs> and it never, it has never broken down on me. It goes fast. It has a lot of trunk space. All my kids sit comfortably. 
It even has a good stereo and a sunroof. And I'm always, always wishing I have a nicer car, but I'm trying to learn how to love my car. I owe. Our hearts are whores that run after the world that think that if, if I sleep with the world, it'll fulfill me. And we're Pharisees. That's really the story. We are her and we are Simon. And the gospel says, you come to the guy Jesus, even when we show up in church late, even when we show it and we take him for granted, and we do, oh, do we? And he'll say, just come meet me and I'll forgive you. And I paid all your debt. I paid all your debt so I could love you. I'm not going to revoke the every spiritual blessing. It's not going to be revoked. It's still yours. <laughs> come and bask in it. Come into it. And I think if we can start to see this Jesus. Yeah. See, she knew something about what was she owed. And she knew something about what she was given. And that's the dinner party that we want at our church. Isn't that the dinner party you want in your heart? And, and I know, I know, I'm not, I'm not just, oh, like, Pastor Susan, you're going to beat, you're going to, it's not a guilt sermon. It's, it's that Jesus loves you like this. He really does. It's really absurd. It's crazy absurd, right? We, we're, we're not even just her, we're him, we're him and her, wrapped up in one, and we don't even know how to feel this way toward Jesus, and he still welcomes us, forgives us, and loves us. That's the gospel. Okay. And so, um, just, we just, we pray that the Lord would give you that spirit. Right? Look, I know none of you can fix this. <laughs> I know you can't walk out this tomorrow and go, okay, I'm going to start being grateful for Chipotle. <laughs> I'm going to stop Okay, I'm going to stop just coming to church late because I'm, I'm, I'm just, don't, don't, I take it for granted. I, I, I know it's not like this night. You're not going to just turn it on like a flip of a switch. Okay. Today I'm asking you to go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Because that's where it starts. Let's pray. We are the prostitute. Lord, we're so pharisaical. We look at the bad people. And yes, they are bad. I mean, and they do sin. And yes, they can be dangerous. But Lord, if not for a Mark Mosley here or a Miss Flasher there, we, or a dad who's not even C minus, we, we could be one of them. And Lord, we're, we live in the society that if Abraham Lincoln could live at this time, he would think there are heavenly things in this city. And yet we treat them with such granted. And even more than this, compared to the iPhones and our jobs and the food that we eat, you have given us 
a thousand thousand times more and you have paid far more than a hundred thousand ninety thousand dollar debt Lord I pray that we would see ourselves true and we would see ourselves in this text and we would recognize that whether we are Simon or we're the prostitute or we actually start to see we're both it's Jesus Jesus welcomes us May we run to you. May we run to you. Thank you for receiving us. Would you put a new heart into us and help us to see ourselves, help us see this week through the Luke 7 lens. Help us see our months and all our possessions and our friends and our church and our brothers and sisters and all our blessings and, of course, the gospel through the Luke 7 lens so we can start to have a a wild sinner's dinner party full of gratitude, brimming with gratitude, Lord, full of joy and gratitude for our debt has been paid, more than paid by you. In Jesus' name, amen.